Good to see you again. Yeah, it's always fun to get get this. What is this our third year that we've been doing this? Uh, year number so, three. Yeah, you were yeah. you were one of our first guests when we started this platform, and it's just been one of those things we keep it going <laughs> because it's always topical. Yeah, well, hopefully I helped everybody. Yeah, also by the way, uh, alum of ODU, so representing this area a lot around here. So and we love hearing that. Obviously, being the Virginia yeah. Sports Hall of Fame, we love our colleges, we love our alumni. So happy to hear that as well. Uh, you can follow Jake on Twitter at allinkid, all one word, uh, and you can, of course, you can also go to theathletic.com and read all of the fantasy football information they have. They have about. I think over a hundred articles in their fantasy football draft kit. So if you haven't started, you might want to get started soon. And, <laughs> and only about half of those, only about half of those are mine. I was going to say, okay, <laughs> how many of those did you contribute? Only about half. Um, obviously this is up on Facebook live as well. So if you have any questions, please feel free to get them over and we'll try to get those over to Jake, but let's kind of get started first with the elephant in the room. That's still there. We didn't know if it would be there from last year, but it is still, and that's COVID. Um, we had some issues last year, but it did look, I believe every single game got played last year. Um, has this, has it continued to affect how you make your projections, how you make your rankings, or are you just strictly focused on the football that goes on, on the field and hoping that all 17, not 16, 17 games get played. Yeah, it really doesn't affect the projection and everything like that. Really what it comes down to is, and what we talked about last year, but even more so now that we have preparation and we've kind of seen what happens, it's not going to change the week to week and everything like that unless we know somebody's out. So what I would just say for that is that have a backup plan in place already. Uh, you know, my home league, a lot of the industry leagues I'm in, you can announce a player in advance. So like, let's say something happens on Friday and you don't know whether or not your player on Monday is going to be allowed to play or not, but you want to wait for that player because maybe it's Ezekiel Elliott on a Monday night football game. So you announce the replacement. And then if that player does play, you put them in there no matter what, no matter how good your replacement did. If you make that announcement, you have that guy in your lineup, but you also have that replacement in case he doesn't get to play. And I think that, you know, it's not the ideal situation. You don't want to put these caveats and contingencies in place and be like, well, he's playing if this and playing if not. But I think given the situation, it's not a normal injury risk. It's not a normal like we know on Thursday he's not playing on Sunday. So I think that's have the plan in advance, whether it's a few extra spots on your bench, whatever it might be. But as for the rankings as a whole, those aren't going to change. Like I said, unless we know already days in advance if somebody's going to be out. Yeah, and you know, I saw that in the leagues I participated in last year, like you said, they they kind of gave us that leeway to go with the decision that we wanted to make, but then there was that fallback plan in case it was Sunday morning and somebody uh, somebody got a, a positive case. So hopefully you commissioners out there aren't ruling with an iron fist and you actually allow your your players to uh, to manage that properly. And one thing before we continue, I see you got a Lawrence Taylor jersey back there, 2003 <laughs> Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. So I know you didn't do that for us. I know he's just a great <laughs> player overall, but we're always happy to see that. Um, you know, as with anything with fantasy football, the more that I get involved in it, and I think this is probably my, my 12th or 13th year doing it, but analytics has really, really come into play when it comes to the top level fantasy players and the people who participate in multiple leagues, daily fantasy. Um, There's so many acronyms, though, that I can't keep up with. And it's just like baseball, basketball, football. For the average fantasy player that wants to take that next step, what statistics should they be looking at? What should they be diving into to go from, you know, the guy who's just there with his buddies each year to somebody who's potentially winning a league? Yeah, like you said, you can fall down the rabbit hole and before you know it, you're 20 stats deep and you have no idea what like I, I'll preface it with this too, Will, though, is what I tell everybody every single year, 
consider evaluation of players like a puzzle. Like you would never open a box, a thousand piece puzzle, take out one piece and be like, oh, I know what this puzzle is. Unless you looked at the picture on the box and then you cheated. But anyway, you would never do that. So I say the same thing to say, like, don't look at only broken tackles and be like, oh, I know what this player is. It's part of the puzzle. That being said, you can go very shallow with, like I said, like broken tackles. You can talk about air yards and ADOT are the same thing. Like you said, those acronyms, we see so many of them. And now there's different acronyms for the same thing. But air yards and ADOT is basically how far downfield the receiver is when the quarterback targets him. So the further you are downfield the more you're going to average per catch and more opportunity you're going to have. So that's a good one for receivers. Broken tackles is good for running backs. Uh, The air yards also goes to the quarterback as well. And you can go as simple as completion percentage. Target percentage is a very simple one and easy to find. That's huge. Like what it comes down to really in fantasy is volume is king. Just last year, David Montgomery and James Robinson, despite being on awful offensive lines, finish top 10 at the running back because of volume. So look at target percentage, look at snap percentage, look at touch percentage of the team's totals touches. Those are like, they, they, they are advanced, but they're simple to find enough that they're actually more valuable than trying to find yards of separation at the time of catch. Like, I mean, that's the rabbit hole you can end up going down. But like, I would say, keep it easy is like I said, the, the snaps targets, the volume percentage stats are really telling and then air yards. And then, yeah, basically broken tackles for running backs is helpful, but it's not, it's not the be all end all for running backs. When you're talking about these stats, you know, I just wrote a few down broken tackles, targets, air yards, snaps. Are these things that are consistent year to year? Or are they kind of like turnovers? When you look at a team that a team that forces a lot of turnovers, typically the next year that's going to regress back to the mean. Or are these are these stats where you look at a running back and you say, "Yep, like a Derrick Henry." You know, let, let's just use him for instance. Um, you know, how how long is the lifespan of of this stat to really be something that you can look at? It's a really good question because there are stats that don't have really longevity. The best stat out there that I always tell people don't overrate or very much look into at all is drops. Like drops are inherently negative to think about. People overreact to them. are like, oh my gosh, you know, Eric Ebron was dropping all these passes for years on end. Jamar Chase this, this preseason. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. That's why I'm bringing it up because Jamar Chase this preseason. And like you talk about Jamar Chase in college, barely ever dropped the ball. Uh, you look at Evan Ingram last year. A lot of people got frustrated with his drops, but drops are so- somewhat like fumbles for running backs. Yes, you can be a little bit more prone to them, but they are not a total, uh, like, they're not anomalous as they're in their own ways, and, like, they're just going to happen whenever they want. You can be more prone to them, but they're overrated as a status, and the volume's still there. You know, even if you were, like, some of the league leaders and drops at wide receivers still finish as top 10 wide receivers just because that volume is there. So volume, when you go back to your main question, is, like, if you look at stats that don't change much, that's why I brought those up, because volume, target percentage, target percentage could change if there's somebody developing at the wide receiver position and overtakes somebody else. Like, go back to Jamar Chase. Maybe Jamar Chase, because of this, starts out slow, and he's only seen 10% of the target share for the first three games. But he develops into the receiver everybody thinks he can be, and by weeks four, five, six, now he's seen 15%, 16%, 17%. So that's telling in the talent level. Same thing with running back touch percentage. How much are they touching the ball? Are they taking more of the pie? But air yards pretty much tells you the style of the wide receiver, the style of the quarterback. 
those hold true. You brought up Derrick Henry. Broken tackles will pretty much carry over with the type of running back you are. Obviously, Derrick Henry's breaking a ton of tackles. And then I'll tell you things about said player. So more so, I would say the ones to be concerned about where they are variable like that would be drops. I would say also touchdown percentage because you can go back to remember the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. They were above and beyond anything that should be normal of an offense. So as you said, they'll regress back down to the mean, but you could have it go the opposite direction too. To go back to Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, for the time he was healthy last year, threw quite a bit and a lot of yards, and his touchdown percentage was actually low. So you can regress back to the mean in a positive direction, and then it should come back around. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your your cheat sheet, uh, basically all of your rankings from, from everything that you post on The Athletic. And one of the things I really like is you, you look at it, basically the projected points for the total season. So you know whether you're a quarterback, uh, running back, wide receiver. You know, if you're just a, a basic fantasy player and you're in a 12-team league with a half-point PPR, you know, what is the target points that you should be looking at to say, you know, this is going to get me to the playoff? When you're kind of putting this all together, is, is there a number that you should be looking at overall? I want to say a number overall is it really comes down to roster construction for that. So, yeah, as you mentioned, there's two things I have on the site is my downloadable cheat sheet, which you can tinker with. That's why we did it this year is you can change it to go back to the target percentage. You could be like, well, I don't think you're right, Jake. I think Jamar Chase is going to be the number one wide receiver by far. and He's going to get 25 percent of the share and Tyler Boyd is not going to do anything this year. You can change it and you can see how it affects the rankings and the projected points where the projected points comes in more valuable is not necessarily trying to say i want this out of my team like i want my lineup to equal this many points is as you're drafting so one of the things in the cheat sheet is vorp it's value over replacement player uh that's the terminology that we came from but basically it shows you where the biggest gaps are at the position and that's what goes into when you hear tiers and you're drafting in tiers. So the reason you do tiers is because let's say you're trying to decide between a running back or a wide receiver, and there's only two left in the running back tier, but there's seven in their wide receiver tier. Well, you would draft the running back because it's more likely than not those wide receivers might still be there by your next pick. And you don't really want to start the next tier because you don't want to be the first guy out of the gate on that next group of players because they're all similar values. So you want to obviously spend the least in your draft. So where that projections and those points really come down to is like, look for the biggest gaps. I would say anything in the double digit points for gaps would tell you, like if you're trying to decide between, it's basically tie breaks in your draft is look for those gaps in position. And that will help you just inherently build a team that projects out the most. When you approach to draft and you, you want to say, you want to walk away and say your draft was successful. What has to happen for that draft to be successful? So for me personally, it's going to differ from person to person. You know, you'll hear the terms like zero RB or now there's people calling it hero RB. If you only take one and like one of the top guys, uh, you know, whether you want to load up in certain positions or take a, a tight end early like Travis Kelsey. So for me, because of the landscape, I just look back to last year. This is what I always referenced last year. Remember, and I'm sure you do, Will, is like towards the end of the year, remember how everybody was chasing Savan Ahmed and Samaj P. Ryan and all these random names on waivers to try and get a running back just to start in your lineup. It's because running back is a lot harder to come across than it is wide receiver. And to go back to that projected points, you can see the replacement value at wide receiver is much greater than running back because the drop off is much shallower. So for me to, to get to your question here is like for my team, I'm trying to come out of the first three rounds 
with two running backs, just because once you get into that fourth, fifth, sixth round of running backs, it's not just that you're likely overdrafting a running back on their own value. You're talking about timeshares. You're talking about questionable teams. And some people in the fantasy industry have determined, like called it the dead zone of running backs that more fail than hit. But it's not just that for me. It's that in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, especially this year, and it has been kind of that case for the past two or three years, the wide receivers that are still on the board are top 20 wide receivers, a lot who have the potential to finish as a top 10 option. So if you're just looking at the running back versus the wide receiver on the board in those rounds, you want the wide receivers. So, And you're obviously not going to start your drafts with five straight wide receivers. So that's why I want to hit the running backs early. So for me, again, I would never go in with a preset plan. Like I would never say, I want round one to be a running back, round two to be a wide receiver, round three to be a running back, because you'll miss on value falling to you. But all that being said, that's my goal. My construction, Jake's team, usually has two running backs in the first three rounds, lows up with wide receivers. And then I wait on tight end till probably the seventh, eighth round and quarterbacks even longer. I just took a home league where I took Joe Burrow in like the 12th round. And I have Joe Burrow projected for the highest pass attempts this year. So quarterbacks can be found late as everybody I think knows these days. Yeah, that, that is true. You know, kind of playing a little bit of counterpoint. I don't want to say it's completely devil's advocate to that wide receiver point. You know, 60 wide receivers, this is at least according to CBS, I couldn't find exactly what the stat was per the athletic, but 60 wide receivers averaged 10 fantasy points per game last year. I mean, it's an unbelievably deep position, but does that depth kind of mask the fact that maybe it's top heavy so that it really flattens out after, say, the first five, the top five to eight guys where, you know, number 12 and number 32, there's really not that much difference. No, so for wide receiver, it is top heavy just as much as any position uh so if you get one of the for me this year the big four adams hill uh Diggs, and ridley you know if you have one of those there's that's a that's a tier to go back to what i was talking about before that's a tier in their own right because those are the top guys just like at running back you could say there's a big four this year with christian mccaffrey dalvin cook derrick henry and alvin Kamara. like there's a big four the problem is it's not even so much that top heaviness it's to go back to what i was saying so you just mentioned the fact that that many wide receivers average double digits, half of that was at running back. And that's more of what it is, is that if you don't get those, you're in that chase. And the problem is, is you're not the only team trying to find those running backs. You're not the only team going after these guys on the waiver wire. And that's why I've always pushed back against zero RB is just not drafting a running back till the fifth or sixth round, because sure it could work if you're the only team doing it, because you have that stability at wide receiver at that top end. But the problem is, as soon as the second team is doing it, you're chasing the same guys. And then we've already seen time and time again, like go back to the Broncos years ago, if everybody remembers Hillman as the running back, is everybody's like, who's the next running back up now that somebody got hurt? And everybody was guessing it was going to be one, and it was completely the opposite person. So you don't even guarantee to get the right running back. I mean, look at, I go back to Savon Ackman and Samaj P. Ryan last year. There wasn't a certainty those were going to be the guys. So I, you're right in the fact that the wide receiver, that actually goes to my argument and the fact that they're so replaceable. Yeah, they're still top end heavy, but you get to wide receiver 13 and you can go all the way down to probably, and I'm guessing off the top of my head, you could go look at my projections to see, but I'm guessing, (laughs) see, I'm guessing somewhere around wide receiver 13 or 14 down to about 25 is probably not even a 20 point gap. No, you're, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these rankings better than we do. 
Um, you, you know, it, it's just, it's funny because I remember when I started, when I started fantasy, it was all about the running backs. And then obviously we've seen just the game change, you know, protecting the quarterbacks and we've seen quarterback numbers go way, way up, but you can only start one of them. And there is some depth at the quarterback position. So you can get one of those, like you said, later, just because, you know, Joe Burrow is going to throw a ton. So he's got, and somebody's going to catch some of those balls. You know, a, a bad year would be 60%, but just seeing how the wide receiver position has changed, you know, I, I noticed last year in particular, a lot of wide receivers were going much earlier. Are there other trends that you've been seeing over the last two or three years that has completely changed how fantasy football goes? I think people are more willing to also get in involved in the tight ends because a tight Talk end about a top heavy position. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to is we've not only seen how top heavy it is and you can make the argument. I don't ever take Travis Kelsey in the first round. If he's early second, sometimes I have uh, around the third, fourth pick, but he doesn't usually make it that far because somebody sees the advantage of having Travis Kelsey and how much of a leg up he gives you over everybody else, including, you know, even Darren Waller last year. But the flip side to play devil's advocate in that own argument is just two years ago, Travis Kelsey was still amazing but so was Kittle and there was a 0.1 per game difference. So if you spend that first round pick and third Kittle's going in the third round, you kind of lost that edge you thought you were gaining as well as the fact that you're sacrificing running back or wide receiver in the first round. So all that being said, because those three guys are the clear answer. And then there's a lot of debate out there, whether Hawkinson, Andrews and Pitts is that next group, whether it is or not, let's just call them the, the top six. After that, it's questions galore. This position, every single year, people are like, well, this might be the year that tight ends deep. And it never is because the problem with tight ends is they're asked to block more than any other position. Uh, Adam Trotman, for people that might not know, is the tight end for the Saints. And there was a lot of buzz about him about a month ago. And then as we saw in the preseason games, he was blocking 50% of the time. Well, to go back to your advanced stats that you're talking about, how many routes run, how many targets, how many times you're getting you know, throws your way matters, especially the tight end position. So because people are seeing that and they're starting to really grasp the fact that if you don't get a tight end early, you're kind of just rolling the dice every single week. You're starting to see tight ends go into the top three rounds, even potentially top. You could probably see the top three go in the first two rounds and then maybe even one of those other next three sneak into the third or fourth round. Just to give the, the people watching and the people who will watch this an idea, the difference between number three and number four in projected fantasy points is 32 points, which goes back to our point about the wide receivers where there was maybe a 20 point gap between a, a group of 25 receivers. So out of those next three, though, the Hawkinson, Pitts and Andrews, who do you think is potentially the, the guy that could take that step into that top four, top three category? So if there's going to be a, so, so this is a completely different question than I thought you were going to ask. I thought you were going to say who was my favorite. Well, because I thought you were going to say who's my favorite. And Andrews is my favorite. He originally wasn't until Bateman got hurt and Marquise Brown is hurt, mostly because I thought Bateman being drafted there was going to hurt his target share to go back to that. But that kind of got offset with he had been hurt. Hawkinson should see a ton because look at the wide receiver core for the Lions. But my favorite is actually Kyle Pitts. And really what it comes down to is everybody knows this isn't unknown by anybody who's played fantasy or even watched the NFL rookie tight ends rarely produce big yardage, big fantasy numbers, you know, yards and touchdowns, everything like that. You have to go back to 
Evan Ingram with the Giants, but you know, Odell Beckham was hurt that year. Sterling Shepard was hurt that year. He basically came their number one option. And if you go back before that, it was Jeremy Shockey, a similar team in the fact that there was only one decent wide receiver and everybody else was questionable. And then of course the best season of all time is Mike Ditka. And I'm not expecting, you know, Pitts to come in and get 1100 yards and eight, nine, 10 touchdowns. But look at Jefferson, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings last year. And that's why I'm saying I'm excited for Kyle Pitts, because for all intents and purposes, Kyle Pitts is kind of a wide receiver masquerading with a tight end tag put on him. He is, if you put him at the wide receiver position, I mean, he's a physical specimen. There's no question about it. And if you've seen what's happened already, he's only played one preseason game, but they lined him up at wide receiver Mm -hmm. and it comes down to why was Justin Jefferson so valuable last year? Because there was a void for the number two pass catcher, not including the backfield, the number two pass catcher for the Vikings, and Jefferson stepped in. If you said Kyle Pitts was a wide receiver, nobody would be questioning him as a top 50 fantasy pick. But it's because of that tight end situation. And let's also not forget, they still have Hayden Hurst, who is the one that's been asked to be the more traditional tight end and blocking more. So, I'm extremely excited for Pitts, and he's usually going as the sixth tight end, and I could see him. It would take a lot to break right and a lot to ask of a rookie, especially a tight end, but if you told me out of those three who was the one that actually got to that top group, it would be Pitts and not Andrews and Hawkinson because I think we've already seen the ceiling of Hawkinson and Andrews. Well, and, and somebody has to be there to pick up the the balls that Julio Jones isn't catching anymore. Exactly. Obviously, Ridley's going to be a, a big option, but you there's an argument to be made that Kyle Pitts might be the de facto number two, if not one B, on that team already. Absolutely, and that's the really that's that's something you want to look for too. Is you can look at last year's, and this isn't a, a analytic piece, but it more is just kind of looking up the numbers. And there are sites that'll do that for you, but. Look at the opportunities that were left by either departures, free agency, retirement. Uh, some sites like gave it a name, and I think it's like vacated targets or something like or vacated touches. Yeah, another one for you guys. But that's one of the biggest ones. You know, Julio Jones is gone. And Russell Gage is Russell Gage. I don't think Russell Gage is going to improve much on what we just saw. And that was with Julio Jones with nine games. So, you know, Russell Gage, we've kind of already seen. If you're talking about, again, the one who should be the number two. We should just call him a wide receiver at this point. It's Kyle Pitts. Well, that kind of takes me into, you know, one of the one of the more interesting teams from my perspective this year is Tennessee because you now have Julio Jones, but you add him to A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. And, oh, by the way, you also have Derrick Henry. And then somebody's got to throw the ball, Ryan Tannehill. Where are the points? Where's the value coming from those skill positions if you're looking to draft somebody from the Tennessee Titans? it's those four and that's the end of it and that's what so teams like the titans and go back to the vikings the vikings are the same way it's justin jefferson adam thielen kirk cousins and dalvin cook and that's it and kirk cousins is actually pretty underrated in fantasy teams like this are very attractive for fantasy purposes you know you look at the bucks and you go back to the Bengals, and you say "Ooh, that's got a lot of fun but they have three wide receivers. Like if I told you as of today, Antonio Brown plays the entire season and he's the second best wide receiver for the Bucs and it's not Godwin or Mike Evans, nobody would really be that shocked if you know you look at the Bengals wide receivers and said only two of them produce and one of them falls off. Nobody would be that shocked, but when you ask them to say which two are the guarantees, there isn't a guarantee. We don't definitively know. And that's with Joe Mixon also being healthy in that backfield. So I say 
I like these kind of teams. I like the Titans because I know it's AJ Brown as a wide receiver one, Julio Jones is a wide receiver two, only because at this point of his career, he already kind of took a backseat to Calvin Ridley. And AJ Brown is just that kind of alpha wide receiver now. And Derrick Henry is going to be Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill continues to put up QB1 numbers for the past two years. And nobody wants him in fantasy. And he runs a little bit on top of it. So I would say if you're looking for less of a headache sometimes when you're making a toss-up decision, you know, of course, I'm not saying take Ryan Tannehill over Russell Wilson, although that team is very narrow too. But the more narrow the tree in fantasy, it's the better for us because it's less of a headache trying to predict those touches. Quarterback uh, position has kind of gone through a, a few changes the past few years. I mean, Tom Brady, he's, he's still there. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers has actually come down in the rankings a little bit. Um, I don't know if that has to do with the team around him or maybe his mindset. I don't know if anything that's happened off the field goes into that. But outside of, outside of Mahomes and um, Kyler Murray, a, another big name, Josh Allen obviously had a great year last year. Who's that 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 second tier of quarterbacks? Where are we seeing value there? I think you mentioned Russell Wilson. I assume that he's probably still a, a, a big fantasy get if you can get him. Yeah, so Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers both, uh, they're right behind two other guys for me, though. It's Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson. Uh, everybody seems to be really down on Lamar Jackson after what happened last year. But we'll also remember just two years ago, he was the number one quarterback in all fantasy because – rushing he is limited as a pass get or passer and he has limited pass catching options i just mentioned the injuries before but you know dak prescott and no i don't think dak prescott is going to throw for 400 yards per game like he started last year but you're talking about we've already seen dak at his peak and what it could be and he still has those three wide receivers who by the way cd lamb is now in a second season is also one of the most popular breakout candidates for everybody and like to if call him a breakout at this point people would roll their eyes and be like no kidding so that's how good it is you have a healthy zeke and that team as well uh those would be the next two and if you wanted to go dak over lamar i wouldn't fault you i go lamar over dak and then they're kind of in so you mentioned the big three so i think it's those three and then i kind of put dak and lamar in their own little kind of group and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are right behind him. Uh, Russell Wilson is interesting because last year, we all know, the let Russ cook, he did in the first half, and then he didn't in the second half. And it's Great like, which are, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, which Wilson, which Wilson are we going to get, especially with a new coaching on the offensive side of the ball? So if you look at that, you know, maybe they open things a little bit much, but still only two real wide receivers out there. So I'm okay with Wilson. I'd probably lean Aaron Rodgers because you, you mentioned this. The reason Aaron Rodgers doesn't kind of hit Lamar and Dak for me is because he doesn't run that much. Running is so much more valuable for a quarterback because you get one yard for 10 points instead of one for 25, and the touchdowns are six versus four. So it's simple math there. You want a quarterback who runs. All that being said, people, I kind of, I don't know you weren't saying this, but it's kind of embedded in what you were kind of setting up the question with is people don't realize how good Aaron Rodgers was last year. And I talked about this on the podcast. I said, even if you took away eight touchdowns, which is a lot, Aaron Rodgers still QB five. So like, it's almost disrespectful to put him at QB six, so to speak. No, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that I think with a quarterback, a lot of the times we look at the athletic quarterbacks, the guys who run like now it's Josh Allen, but Josh Allen coming out of college was not looked at as a, as an athletic quarterback. He wasn't looked at as a runner, a guy who could get you yards out of the pocket. You know, we think of Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson, but Aaron Rodgers has that escapability. And if he has to get those yards, he's there. But it just it just still is 
I guess the eye test isn't telling me that Dak Prescott is ahead of Aaron Rodgers. And it, I, I guess I just start need to look at the numbers. Um, but talking about the rookie quarterbacks, you know, there's this was obviously a very high profile draft class for rookies. Is there somebody in that class that is worth a late round pick? You know, we don't know exactly when Justin Fields is going to get in. We know Trevor Lawrence is the starter. Is there somebody that's really going to be worth it if you are loading up on the running back and wide receiver position early in the draft? Uh, I'm kind of smiling here because I, I want to say on one hand, you can make an argument for all of them. Uh, that That's really, you could. Uh, Zach Wilson is the guaranteed as long with Trevor Lawrence as being their starting week one. There's no question about it. And now we have Mac Jones into that mix as well. He's just been announced. Uh, Mac Jones, limited ceiling. I, I'm not really taking a flyer on him uh, just because the conservative offense that's going to be around him. And then that without the rushing, people don't realize that Trevor Lawrence is going to run. Like just watch it in the preseason. Trevor Lawrence will put up, 300 ish yards maybe not quite daniel jones level of 500 but he'll call his own number and take off so i think trevor lawrence we just saw that last... the national championship game a couple yeah. years ago a big big run and unlike daniel jones he didn't fall before, <laughs> before <laughs> he needed to get to the end zone so if you look at it i think trevor lawrence is one of the best prospects we've seen in the quarterback position in, in at least a decade i know people hate the hyperbole because it does get tossed around every single year but this is one of those times where trevor lawrence for all intents and purposes, is the best since. Like, he is the best since Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck as a prospect, whether he pans out or not. But we're, we're talking about college. So I think Lawrence is definitely worth it. Justin Fields probably has a higher ceiling than Trevor Lawrence. The question is, as you mentioned, when does he start? I think there's a lot of pushback of that he should just be the week one starter. There's a lot of, well, they're throwing Andy Dalton to the Wolves because they faced the Rams in Los Angeles in week one. So maybe we see Justin Fields in week two. But, you know, maybe it's not till week five. I think week five is when they have the Lions. And you can understand it from the business side of things because when you see a rookie quarterback, you don't want to do what the Dolphins just did. You don't want to turn to your rookie and then yank him back out and then go back to him. And you're they're also kind of changing the offense but not fully overhauling the offense. So you don't want to do that. Once you go to Fields, once you go to Trey Lance with San Francisco, that needs to be the answer. You can't kind of keep going back and forth. So for me, I would go Lawrence, then I would go Fields. I do think it'll be sooner than later for Fields. Uh, the other three, Wilson and Mac Jones, have limited upside in fantasy. So I'm not really looking at either one of them. The Trey Lance is the most intriguing one. And because he could sit out the entire season, like we've seen with Patrick Mahomes and not show up till the end of the year, because the 49ers are contenders and Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl. So you know, you can get there without having the better quarterback. I think a lot of people would argue that Lance is the better quarterback, but we've seen Trent Dilfer win a Super Bowl with the Ravens based on how good the team was around him. So we've also seen Trey Lance kind of split quarterback touches, which is probably the worst case scenario because now you can't start either one of them. So I will say this. If you go with Trey Lance, you're going to have to know what you're getting into. And that could potentially be somebody on your bench for 10 weeks. So for me, it's Lawrence and, and Fields and that's it. Well, and that 49ers team too, you know, their biggest, I think the biggest reason for their regression last year was more injuries, not necessarily performance. I, I think, I remember there was a game, I think early in the season against the Jets where they just lost everybody. And I think just going into that. So, so in, again, you know, they, Kyle Shanahan, I think is one of the better young minds. So we'll see what they do. And, and I do agree with you that maybe the Lance is somebody you stay away from, but you, you mentioned Tua. And this question isn't just specific to quarterbacks, but what second year player is ready to take the biggest jump into fantasy stud? 
Yeah, I think I'll go back to City Lamb from before. That's definitely one of them. Um, but I, I will say to her real quickly because I do want to touch on it for because I see a lot of people hesitant to still get buy into him. Um, but if you're looking at to a and the reason I said also being committed to him, um, actually, I'll, I'll pull another quarterback. I know we're, I, I know we weren't sticking with quarterback, but we will stick with quarterback because there's two. It's well, they're, two they're and Jalen. Popular position in all of sports. They are, and that's yeah. You, you know, everybody always wants the next Josh Allen anyway. So when like like, and I don't think they're the next Josh Allen. That all be that said, let's let's remember Josh Allen's one out of fifty. He's not the common op. <laughs> He's not the common outcome. He's kind of more the anomaly. But anyway, that being said, I think Tua and Jalen Hurts, and I have both of them inside my top fifteen. I actually have Jalen Hurts higher because of the rushing upside. But real quick on Tua. What I said was kind of what I've complained about what the Dolphins did last year. They straddled the fence. They kind of tried to keep pieces of the Fitzpatrick offense, but also start to mold it a little bit for Tua. And then they went to Tua. He didn't look good for some time. Let's also remember the injury he was coming off from from college. And then they went back to Fitzpatrick, but they had to keep pieces of the offense. It's just it was a mess. And that's part of the problem with the offense last year. On top of the fact you talk about injuries, Devontae Parker booked end his season with hamstring injuries. They lost Preston Williams. Not that I think he's a huge factor, but there was a time there for multiple weeks where Mike Kosicki, their tight end, was their best receiving option. So you have a healthy Devontae Parker. You have Will Fuller, who will be there come week two because he's got a one-game suspension. They drafted Jalen Waddell, who, oh, by the way, just if you everybody wants to go back to college and remember, oh, he played with Tua. Tua also hit that big play downfield to Waddell in some championship game I think people might remember. So people wondering about Tua's arm, not concerned at all. Now that the offense is made for Tua, Tua is a year even further removed. He has those trio of receivers. I think Tua is going to be a very nice option. But the reason I have Hurts higher is because he's got that Kyler Murray rushing upside where he could run for eight. 900 yards in the season and the touchdowns that come with it. And I know everybody initially initially pushes back and like, well, look at how terrible of a passer he was. He was also running the offense from Carson Wentz. He wasn't running the offense made for Jalen Hurts. Go back to Lamar Jackson when he took off, took over for Joe Flacco in Baltimore. He had a lot of hiccups. People were ready to write off Lamar Jackson as a quarterback because he was running an offense that wasn't built for him. So now you have Jalen Rager in the second season, who I do think can take a step forward as well. You bring in Devontae Smith. Oh, look, another wide receiver with his former quarterback from college. And you have a healthy Goddard who was banged up a lot last year. And I'm not even including Zach Ertz because he seems to have taken a step back. But this is the easy one I'll give you, Will. And this is one I make for everybody out there. Remember how miserable Daniel Jones was last year? If you take Daniel Jones passing stats only, didn't even throw for 300 yards or 3,000 yards, didn't even throw for 20 touchdowns. If you just take Daniel Jones passing stats and give him 800 rushing yards and about six or seven rushing touchdowns, he's a top 10 quarterback. So we're not even asking Jalen Hurts just to do more than throw for 3,000 yards and 20 touchdowns, and he'll be a top 10 quarterback. A lot of times where the eye test fails you, you really got to yes. look at the numbers and where the numbers lie. Um, I mean, know, it looks ugly on TV, but it'll look great in your fantasy yeah. box score. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're speaking of ugly, you know, last year, the NFC East, obviously the, the, the Washington football team won seven and nine. And so you're looking at that and saying, well, there, there just isn't good teams. There aren't good players. But in just talking to you and listening to you, you've mentioned a, a handful, if not close to 10 players that are, are worthy of, you know, top three picks in, in the first three or four rounds. How exciting is the NFC East? And the only reason why I ask about that is there's a lot of people in this area who love NFC East teams, not just this area, but the state. But between Washington, Philly, Dallas, and, and New York, you know, give us a sense of, of where the fantasy points are. 
<laughs> they're with most of these there are a lot here i mean let's start let's go to dallas and i know that's not the team everybody everybody that's probably the least that anybody wants to hear in our area is dallas but you have zeke as a top five pick you have cd lamb and amari cooper who are going to go in the first two if not three rounds at worst Dak prescott's going to be a top five quarterback maybe six at worst then he's not even mentioning michael gallup so you have that you go to the own washington team here we have here antonio gibson is a borderline first rounder who now peyton barber's on the practice squad so you have Jarrett patterson who looks to be the backup but a rookie who is clearly the backup and then antonio gibson could take another step forward here's another one in this group like cd lamb that was already good last year and could be even better this season so you have that we know terry mclaurin is a wide receiver one so he's a top 12 wide receiver Ryan Fitzpatrick is super serviceable for fantasy, but again, he doesn't really run that much, a smidge, but not enough to the fact that he really clicks that box. But you got Terry McLaurin. Hopefully Curtis Samuel can get healthy because if not, you know, or if so, we just saw him be a top 30 wide receiver last year, and that was sharing with two other wide receivers. So he should really only be sharing with Terry McLaurin this year. Logan Thomas was just a tight end one. So that's just that team right there. Saquon Barkley, if he's healthy, is a guaranteed top five running back. If healthy is a big question. Uh, Kenny Galladay, now the Giants start to get sketchy, though, because you got Kenny Galladay, who still hasn't gotten on the field. He can be a top 20 wide receiver, but not on the field. Sterling Shepard, great value, but he doesn't always make it through the entire season as well. So the Giants just have a lot of question marks. But you go back to the Eagles. Miles Sanders will be a top 20 running back. Devontae Smith could be one of the best, if not the best, rookie wide receiver this year. And then Dallas Goddard is a tight end one, so he's a top 12 tight end. And then Jalen Hurts, as I mentioned. He has, if you want to talk about who could make, let's not call him Josh Allen, although he's passed like Josh Allen as a rookie. <laughs> but if you want to talk about that, like that Kyler Murray extension where, you know, they're running for 800 yards and all of a sudden Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback. I'm not saying I want it. They're like, I want to put my mouth like I'm not putting my money where my mouth is saying that's going to happen. But if it did happen, I wouldn't be shocked. Will what what facilitated the drop for Miles Sanders? Because last year he was a top ten running back going yeah. into the season. So what facilitated that drop to now where you're hoping he can get into the top twenty? So really, what it comes down to is what the Eagles are telling us. That's one of the things too is you got to watch what these teams are telling you. And you know, I go back to and this. This is there's a reason behind this. I go back to Lamar Miller back when he was with the Dolphins years and years ago, and everybody was as fantasy players or even fans were saying, "Give Lamar Miller more touches. Give him more touches. Look at how good he is." And then he finally got more touches, and what happened? Lamar Miller put up almost the exact same numbers, but he was less efficient. And I'm saying that to say, watch what the team is telling you. They know, like, as much as I'm great at my job, quote unquote, like, I don't want to, like, put, like, I don't want to award that on myself, but I'm just saying, like, even though you could say that I'm good at it, like, I'm still going to be right about 70% of the time. And I'm going off my best knowledge. These guys are NFL coaches, they are coaching a team. What the Eagles have told us as a team is that they don't trust Miles Sanders as a pass catcher. And he struggled last year, he struggled in the passing game with and i i know i said don't overrate drops earlier but when it looked like some of it was mental he was missing some routes he was missing some blocks in the passing game and so if you look at it boston scott already back in the fold they drafted kenneth gainwell who's very similar to boston scott which just kind of makes you raise those eyebrows of like eh, maybe miles sanders is going to see the ball 20 times per game and that's really what it comes down to if miles sanders is only seeing it 14 to 16 times a game and not a lot in the receiving game and the Eagles still 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 do have some questions on the offensive line. That's really why. That's why Miles Sanders has fallen back into those, you know, hot uh, 
high end twenties, low end teens of running backs. Let's let's get you out of here with with something positive. Let's <laughs> let's go back to last year and look at your best bold prediction that came true, and then give yes. us your best bold prediction for this year. Yeah. So my best one last year was the, I called TJ Hawkinson. I said that it was going to be a top five tight end breakout and nailed that one. That TJ Hawkinson. I missed a few others. I'm not going to lie. Like I thought Henry Ruggs was doing better. But... Only, you know? Yeah, no, no. Well, that's, that's where I've seen, but I was going to turn it. So that's what I was going to say. It's like, so I'm bringing in Henry Ruggs because this is a lesson learned in life too, is like you have to evaluate players in their roles. And so Henry Ruggs didn't do well as a rookie. But there's a couple reasons. You mentioned, we talked about at the beginning of the show, the COVID situation. Rookies did not have an offseason last year. Mm -hmm. uh, you saw a lot of rookie wide receivers. Go back to the Eagles, Jalen Rager. A lot of rookie wide receivers struggled last year. Just, Justin Jefferson was not the common situation. Um, so you have that. You have the offense, like I said, that was kind of in flux. And then on, on top of it, you go back to the Raiders and Henry Ruggs. And Henry Ruggs' situation wasn't supposed to be the fact he was playing outside. So what happened was Brian Edwards was also a rookie and asked to be thrust into this situation. So you have two rookies as your one and two wide receivers, which is a lot to ask of any rookie wide receiver in general. And then you have Edwards who got hurt and that forced Ruggs outside and that's not where he should be playing all the time. Ruggs is in that Tyreek Hill mold. And why I say that he's not Tyreek Hill yet. Like, like, he might never be Tyreek Hill. See, I but he's got that... a lot of people excited with that. I know. <laughs> so that's my bold prediction. He's Tyreek Hill. No, but like <laughs> that's that that slot role where you do play some outside, but you run some more of those seams, get open downfield. And you see that timing that was missed. Derek Carr missed him a couple plays. Uh here's a great one. And this is why I pulled it. This is full circle for you. It was like you asked of those advanced stats. Henry Ruggs was top five in air yards left on the field, as in air yards that were thrown his way that he didn't connect on, and it's all these yards that could have happened. Oh, yeah, just the A-Y-L-O-F. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like, yeah, something <laughs> like that. So, you know, it's just I'm not asking a lot of Henry Ruggs just to get on that same page, be the number two, let Edwards be the number one outside, and you know the attention is going to Darren Waller for defenses. So my bold prediction is that, like TJ Hawkinson last year broke out at tight end. Henry Ruggs breaks out this year and is the top 30 wide receiver. People have already written off his career, but top 30 wide receiver this year. All right, top 30 wide receiver for Henry Ruggs, following on from your Hawkinson pick last year. How many drafts are you in this year? How many leagues? <laughs> uh, leagues where <laughs> I manage. Well, because there's there's two. So the leagues that I actually manage the rosters like everybody normally does. I think it's about 11 or 12. I was trying to get it into single digits, but then best balls where it was just draft and forget is still count those. I think those were like about 15 or 16. All right. So you have a busy, you have a busy fall coming up and obviously I got, I got a spreadsheet to remind me when waivers run in those leagues. <laughs> That's right. Well, Jake, it's always a pleasure catching up with you on this. This is one of my favorite hall calls we do every year. It's fun. It's informative and it's topical. I mean, I really enjoy it. So always a good conversation. Thanks for taking some time out today. I always have fun. I appreciate it. Well, be sure to read Jake's content on the Athletic Fantasy Sports. Uh, they have a full fantasy football draft kit. So if you haven't had your draft yet, just go there. There's plenty of information, almost too much information with this little time left, but you'll be able to find something. Um, you can also follow Jake, like I said, on Twitter and Instagram at AllInKid. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank our sponsors here at the Hall of Fame, Priority Automotive, ESPN Radio, City of Virginia Beach, Dabcon Inc., and Optima Health, as well as our friends at the, uh, at the Hampton Road Sports Commission. All of their support helps us put on events and, and platforms and content such as this. So be sure to follow the Hall of Fame as well on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of them at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, uh, hoping everybody has a wonderful and safe Labor Day weekend. And whatever you do, participate, don't spectate.